Lights, camera, action. Welcome to Mixed Take, a world outspoken podcast where we discuss how the mixing of cultures and heritages in the U.S. influence film, television, and other forms of media and entertainment. And don't be surprised to hear us laughing and geeking out over the movies and shows that we cover. We love the horror of Guillermo del Toro. Love it. Shout out to Pan's Labyrinth. We yep. applaud the storytelling of stories like Selma and The Revenant. Totally. And still nerd out over all things Star Wars. Yes, I am Robert Rivera, and I'm joined by a slightly cooler co-host who has a young spirit that will not wrinkle in time. <laughs> hey, I see what you did there. <laughs> I see you. All right, all right. Hey, I'm Dani Alisea, and today we are so excited to talk about the one, the only, Ava DuVernay. Definitely. As we dive deep into the themes and stories told by the directors and creators that we've covered, it's evident that most movies are trying to deliver a message of some sort. And while the Mexican directors of episodes one to three may have hinted at racism and problems with the immigration system, they never outright said it. Perhaps it's as our show's producer, Michelle, put it, they are artists more than simply movie directors. They don't want to tell you the meanings of their films. They want you to come to those conclusions. Their messages tend to be more cryptic. Ava DuVernay is the opposite. She is overt with her messages. The reason that her movies succeed and work as works of art, where Christian movies often fail, is because she pours her heart and her soul into the craft and creates powerful and provocative pieces of art that challenges us to consider the messages that they proclaim. You know, I, I think, interestingly, for DuVernay, maybe telling documentary style stories early on in her career kind of helped with that telling yeah. a, a real story but in an engaging and and a really kind of cool way that we see in 13th and we'll talk about that in just a bit oh, um, yeah. but before that mm -hmm. we uh, we're gonna we're gonna do some quick takes aren't we Robert take one my quick take is this Ava DuVernay is an empowering artist that seeks to give voices and opportunities to those that are silenced by our society Snap, snap, yeah. snap. All hey, right. What do you got? Okay, my quick take right here, right here, right here. So Ava DuVernay, my sister from another mister. Uh, my quick take is that she creates films that can be used as a catalyst for conversation. She wants people to talk. She essentially tells stories that inspire us to evaluate our own actions or inactions. Definitely see that. So those are our quick takes on Ava DuVernay. And you know what? That leads us to the pre-production, and runtime. This is the part of the show where we explore the life and career of Eva DuVernay. And without further ado, let's dive in. Let's go, Robert. Go ahead. Tell, tell him something. Well, I will. Thank you. Eva <laughs> DuVernay is a U.S. filmmaker and Academy Award-nominated director for the movie Selma, nominated for Best Film, and she was actually beaten by Alejandro Iñárritu for Birdman. Mm -hmm. that's, what, that's what beat out that movie. And the documentary, 13th. I believe her trajectory is pointed straight up and that she'll get that long-awaited Oscar before it's all said and done. However, she has a road, or I should say an uphill battle here. To this day, only five female directors have ever been nominated for an Oscar, and only one has been awarded Best Director. That's Catherine Bigelow for Hurt Locker. None of those women were black. 
only six times in the Academy's 92-year history has a mm-hmm. Black director been nominated for Best Director. Wow. And none have won. However, Ava DuVernay is too talented to be overlooked forever. I think she's going to break that barrier. Yes. So we're going to break down her career in just a second. But before we look at her career, I just want to take a look at some of what we would say is her mestizoness. And mestizo yep. is basically kind of a, a term to mean mixed. So what are the, the mixtures, if you will, that make up Ava DuVernay? So first, she's black. She's a black director in really what's predominantly a white male field. So 62% of directors in Hollywood are white and they're men. Black, one. Two, um, the second aspect of her mestizoness is that she's a female. Within Hollywood, it's 85% of directors are male. So already she's in a very kind of unique position where she is one of very few that look just like her. So first she's black, second she's female, and then third she's urban. What what? So she is. Yep. Yeah, like you know, hood. we we grew up in the city, we're from the shy, and we're going to find out where she's from in just a second, but she's an urban kid, grew up in with a single parent mom, doesn't have a lot of the advantages that some of her fellow directors might have had. Yeah. Ava is from the West Coast. From Long Beach, California, like this, that, and this, Santa. It's It's like like this this and like that. that and like this, Santa. Hey, yeah. Hey, yeah. (laughs) Right, right. So just chill to the next episode. (laughs) That was my Snoop Dogg. It wasn't very good. No, no, no. Snoop Dogg would be proud of that. Go ahead. Would he? (laughs) Okay, if you're listening, hey, leave a comment, Snoop. Shout out, Snoop. She was raised by her single mother and a stepfather at some point. And though she did not grow up in a family of quote-unquote artists, she saw the artistry of everyday life in her family. Things like floral arrangements, interior decorating, different crafts around the house, storytellers, and film lovers like her Aunt Denise. Yeah, I really like her love for her Aunt Denise. At one point she says like they'd go to like one or two films a week. And she's like, were there that many that were released even? (laughs) Like how do we see this many movies? Yeah. So to add like more to her mestizoness, she's she's black, she's a female, she's urban. The fourth thing, she's never she never went to film school. And then the the fifth is there's no rich connections she had in the film industry. There's no nepotism. There's no oh yeah, my uncle has done this forever, or my dad is has got the end for me. She really had to work ground up. Yeah, she's cut from a different cloth, right? She's one of those people that you can call an overcomer. With the mm. odds stacked against her, and she's she finds a way to become successful. Yes, yes, yes. I love those stories. Duvernay worked for a bit in the media before she opened up her own public relations firm and did publicity for movies like Dream Girls. Hey. Yep. That was a great movie, by the way. Yeah. And the terminal. And while she was on set, she began directing the movies in her head, wondering why are actors positioned in a certain way or what it would look like if the camera took a different angle, the director within her blossomed. Mm. While Ava has a creative eye for storytelling, her film about her single mother remains buried and hidden. This is her first film. She does not want people to see it. She was inspired by her mother. And while she's not proud of it, it told her that she wanted to tell stories that were deeply personal. Ava's enthusiastic And the passion for what she does commands your attention in every interview. 
She is gracious and she is energetic. Mm-hmm. She mm-hmm. does not drink coffee, she says, because she's already amped all the time. Which I wonder too, because I, I saw her in the interview. I'm like, oh, she must have just had coffee. Nope. <laughs> That's who she is. I love her energy. She's just always so excited and so eloquently spoken. Yeah, I really like For her. For sure. I was like, is this Ava or is this Donnie? <laughs> Please. With all that energy. For real. She got energy for days. I'm like, go ahead, Ava. What I appreciate about her is how she's evolved over time. So like you said, mm-hmm. with the you know her mom's story, at certain points, you're like, oof, okay, I've evolved so much. Nobody can ever see that because that is just me starting out, learning, growing. Ain't nobody need to see the dirty clothes in the back closet. <laughs> exactly. No, you keep that hidden. That is... <laughs> You show that, I don't know, you show that at, you know, at your grave or something. At never. You show it at never. So the storyteller that she's evolved into, there's there's some trademarks, I think, that she's had. One is her protagonist, her good guys, are usually people of color. So if yep. you think Selma, MLK, if you think When They See Us and the Central mm-hmm. Park Five, protagonist of color is a huge theme for her. Um, the second thing, she sheds light on untold minority stories. Yeah. Again, you think when they see us and then also in 13th, which we'll get to in a second, but Mm -hmm. that documentary that really highlights the injustices, the prison system, the need for overhaul, but shedding light on these stories that many, the majority of, of our culture just don't know. Another thing is she rarely has black or brown stereotypes in her films, which I really appreciate. So you're not going to see... The Mexican cholos and, or something like, you know what I mean? Which right. Yep. It's, it's always shocking to me that movies in 2020 still have these like Mexican cholo type of dudes that are just like out to no good and trying to get one over on you. I'm like, for real? Like we have evolved people. But so I, I appreciate that about her, that they are real people, not just the stereotypes that always seem to be in Hollywood films. She also, I think, gives a voice to unrepresented groups. Again, if you think of the prison population in 13th, and even if we went back in time to the 60s, the unrepresented group being African Americans, mm-hmm. being restricted from voting rights that they had. So she, I think, is like a microphone. She is a natural amplifier. And there are issues that she is like, 100% like this is an issue, this is a problem, and I want to spotlight it. Or this was an issue, this was a problem, and I want to highlight what we did in history so that it can inform what we're doing now. So if we look back and see, okay, in history, this is how change happened. Let's take some of that good stuff and implement it today so that because we're always, our world is always constantly going to be changing. So she's like, okay, here, here are some tools. Here's some insight into what we did before that can help now. And then some of the, you know, the common themes that seem to revolve in lots of her film, incarceration, criminal justice reform, civil rights, injustices, that kind of thing is, is huge for her. And then with regard to her artistry, which I find is super interesting. One, she doesn't use a lot of scoring in our first three episodes this season. Yeah. Like, you know, we look at Alejandro Iñárritu with, you know, these brilliant locations, this beautiful Mm -hmm. music. And then you come to 
Ava and some of the song selections in, in her shows and in her movies are like, uh, kind of whack, you know, falls a little flat or it's yeah. just there's no music at all. Right. So it, it's no so music. And sometimes it's just really grounded in reality. You, yes. you know what I mean? She's not she's not trying to get too artistic because she doesn't want to lose the feeling, the, the raw emotion of just watching it happen. So true. And maybe some of the omitting of the music is like, I'm not trying to draw out an inauthentic emotion, which sometimes yes. music can do. Right. But she wants you to, if you're going to feel emotion, it's for the story, not for oh, the man. music or something like that. So that's really interesting. Could you imagine if she has that music that manipulates you? Look, I mean, I'd be a mess. Her and Hans Zimmer need to do something together. I would just, my face would be in the pillow soaked. <laughs> Get me a second pillow. I am just nonstop tears yeah. through her movies. If, if she's manipulating me on top of the material. Grown man. It's not everywhere. Oh just my, undone. Yes. <laughs> and then her another artistry thing. So that's auditory. With regard to visual, it's fascinating to see her not shy away from dark scenes with black actors. She presses into that. And instead, there's a scene in When They See Us where one of the Central Park Five is in prison and it's very low lit. There's a little bit of light coming from kind of above from a window. Mm -hmm. um, again, pressing into these dark using of, of shadows and, you know, that kind of thing. So I, I really appreciated the fact that she's able, you know, obviously as a black director to be able to do some really creative things by way of lighting black actors. Definitely. Those are some great points. While Ava DuVernay is an incredible movie director and screenplay writer, it is a documentary that hangs in the center of all of her works after directing the movie Selma, DuVernay teamed up with Netflix to write and direct a documentary called 13th. The film is based on the 13th Amendment to the, to the U.S. Constitution that was passed by Congress on January 31st, 1865. A little history lesson for us there. Mm -hmm. um, and ratified on December 6, 1865. In case you don't remember the exact wording off the top of your head because the wording is actually really important. Mm -hmm. The 13th Amendment states, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. The documentary highlights the phrase, except mm -hmm. as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall be, have been duly convicted. The loophole has been exposed and twisted into a new kind of Jim Crow system, imprisoning people, subjecting them to slavery, and stripping them of certain rights. Even when a convicted felon is released from prison, it is very difficult for this person to rebuild his life and reclaim the rights to certain things, basic things like voting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this was her fourth documentary, so I think it helped with her storytelling and also with her interviewing. So every person yeah. in 13th was interviewed by her over like a two-year span. Incredible. Yeah, the dedication. So long, so many people, so many schedules, cities, all that stuff. And two hours with each interviewee. One of the reasons she set that length of time was so that she can actually get authentic material. So I think if you have like a 30 minute sit down with somebody, you can keep your guard up for 30 minutes. You can keep your guard up for an hour, but after two hours of 
talking. Some of the guard starts to come down. You're asking these questions circularly, asking it in a different way. And then you start to get some of the real answers of like, oh, okay, this is what y'all really think. Oh, this is really what your organization Mm -hmm. stands for. One of the uh, visual things that I thought was really interesting was that all of the shooting locations were denoted labor spaces. So it was like steel, brick, concrete, slate, glass. And then how she uses her rule of thirds. You know, there's anytime there was something really important, and this is across all of her works, really important, really insightful, something spoken by an actor or somebody from the documentary. They Their heads almost go into the lower left or lower right corner. Interesting. To, to wow. kind of denote that angst that they feel, like you're on yeah. the edges or the perimeter of, of something not quite in it, but you're, you know, there's there's some wrestling and turmoil. So those are some really kind of things that stood out. Some of the stats from the documentary, one in three black males will go to prison. Black men account for 6.5% of the U.S. population, but make up 40.2% of the prison population, whereas White men, there's only one in 17 white men in prison. And I believe they make up 30% of the U.S. adult population. So just the documentary is is beautiful. You need to watch it. It's on Netflix, 13th. Very insightful. You know what? I grew up thinking, uh, you know what? These are criminals and they deserve it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They deserve everything that they get. And I've had to be reprogrammed Mm -hmm. as an adult. This documentary, which is a must-see, explains how the word except in the 13th Amendment is being exploited. Mm. After the civil rights movement, policies and laws were created to target communities of color. Startling statistics pierced the heart that, you know, many that, that you already highlighted. And I think the whole documentary is just an eye-opener and it's important for us to just sit in those stats and understand what is actually going on with the prison system here. Yeah, and how it was set up to do exactly what it's doing. One of the respondents in the documentary says the system is durable and pressure has never been truly applied to these systems in a way they would be dismantled, only reshaped and shifted to benefit someone else. So we want it to be this way. And if it does change, it's not an overhaul. It's just, okay, we're going to tweak it so that it benefits this group instead of this group. Yeah. Voting is not a privilege in this country. It's a right. But in 1965, Alabama, African-Americans were denied these basic rights by making them jump through unrealistic hoops Mm -hmm. to prove Mm -hmm. their right. You see that right in the beginning of the movie Selma, Mm -hmm. right? With, With Oprah trying to vote and she is she's confronted with so many different questions at that moment voting was deemed for them a privilege Mm -hmm. dr martin luther king jr is one of the greatest people of our generation he was a powerful preacher and a wise leader before ava may 13th she was brave enough to bring this icon to the big screen in the movie selma and she attempted to do him justice and she did. Selma was nominated for an Academy Award as Best Picture. Shout yes. out to Ava. Yep. And in it, we got front row seat into what Dr. King's recipe for change is. Three things. We negotiate. We demonstrate. We resist. 
And that was great. The bedrock of those, you know, negotiating, demonstrate, and resisting is creating drama. So if you don't create drama, there's not going to be change because you're not going to be in the press. And then you don't have the eye of politicians or for him, the president, to actually make the change. So I, I love that. What I love there is that he may not be the Martin Luther King Jr. that people mm. have recreated in their minds mm-hmm, mm-hmm. thinking, well, you know, he didn't cause any trouble he didn't he didn't spark and and he was not a violent man of course he was mm-hmm. not he never advocated violence yeah. but he did he he was trying to stir things up to get that attention yeah and i've i've heard a lot of critique you know as of late with with marches and rallies and peaceful demonstrations how these how these marches and rallies have been disruptive and how we're not taking a cue from Martin Luther King Jr but as we see in this movie he himself he gave the Did key. This. this is the key. This like, oh, oh, no, no, no. This is this the cue that we get from MLK is to actually do this peaceful demonstration. One, it's a, a part of our, our rights as Americans. And two, it's how change happens if we don't demonstrate, if we don't unite with a voice for a common cause issue and demand change, it's not gonna happen. So yeah. for Selma, their cause was voting for today. Mm-hmm us 2020 it's police brutality back in 1968 with mlk the protesters were primarily black today the world stands in solidarity it was so beautiful to see as we were protesting in in the beginning this was like may i think yeah um to see photos from around the world protesting in the uk protesting in japan and korea all around the world people were like yes usa you are absolutely right Police brutality needs to stop, and it's a global issue. But they stood in solidarity with the U.S. issue. Don't get me started. Oh yeah, oh we could go on. <laughs> Make me angry. That's you know what? <laughs> That's the struggle. That's the struggle when we start talking about these directors. They have so much, so much material to cover. Oh, I love it. I love it that for our first three episodes, they were Mexican. For this episode, it is an African American woman. So many beautiful things to say in so many beautiful ways. I am so grateful for just the the change that's coming to Hollywood and to the storytelling that we're seeing on our screens. You know, after the acclaim following Selma and 13th, Ava branched out. She turned down Black Panther, which blows my mind. Yeah, right, right, right. She did that, though, to make A Wrinkle in Time, which also kind of <laughs> blows my mind. In favor of making a movie about a black girl over a black man. Mm. She became the first black female director to be handed over the keys to a big budget Hollywood movie. Despite its poor reception, I respect her vision for A Wrinkle in Time. She sought to take this classic story, which personally I don't love that book to begin with. Oh, right. I tried to give it a chance before I saw the movie and I was not in love with it. Yeah. But she tried to tell it from an African-American experience with Oprah Winfrey and a young actress named Storm Reed. Was she successful? Well, I guess film is subjective, though it received 42% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes, while the audience score was an abysmal 26%. So as bad as the critics were, the audience liked it even less. Though she had a strong passion to tell a fantasy story with people of color, perhaps this was not the story to tell. I'd rather see a movie like Narnia retold with people of color. I think that would be really interesting. Mm-hmm. The industry is not 
given up on Eva, though, as she slated to pen and direct DC Comics' New Gods, which centers around the lesser-known DCEU worlds of New Genesis and Apocalypse, the home of Darkseid. And I am rooting for this because I am a DC comic fan to the core. Right, right. So after the Rotten Tomato stain on her resume, Ava struck back with perhaps the crown jewel of her directorial career, When They See Us. Now, the series name was initially going to be the Central Park Five. Yeah. But then in an interview with Oprah, she talks about why they moved away from that and how the Central Park Five was essentially the name given to these five young boys by like the police system and the judges and all that, or the the lawyers. And so they moved away from that because they were like, that is not who you are. That's who they said you were. Who you are are your individual stories. Not to mention, it sounds lame. (laughs) It does kind of sound lame. It's not great. It's not horrible, but it's not great. Yeah. And in in an interview again with Oprah, she says this about the, the prison system, the judicial system, the criminal justice system. She says, it's not broken. It was built this way. It was built to oppress. It was built to control. It was built to shape our culture in a specific way that keeps what I would say is black and brown people oppressed. It was built for profit. And how heart-wrenching it was, you know, if you are if you haven't seen this, When They See Us is worth the, you know, I think it's six total hours. It's a limited series. And if you don't understand, so it's so very hard. And if you don't understand the protests that are happening here in 2020, this will help you understand just some of the injustices that happen. You know, again, the protests are more so around police brutality, but this lends a hand in the overall conversation. Yeah, definitely the in the justice system. Yes. I don't know about you. I watched that movie and I am I'm feeling anger. I'm feeling helplessness. <sighs> I want to jump in there and and speak on their behalf. Yes. I'm heartbroken. Oh my goodness, their innocence is stolen from the Yes. This. In the interview with Oprah, one of the five Antron, Oprah asks, How are you able to hold on to your sanity? And he says, I'm damaged. I need help. Yes. I oh. know it. Oh, I goodness. I just try to keep myself busy. The system broke a lot of things in me that can't be fixed. My life is ruined. You you know, to anybody listening right now, you need to watch When They See Us, but then you do need to watch the, the Oprah interview after. Yes. I think it's so important to hear the actual Exonerated Five speak. Yes. Yes. And I think what was also helpful is with the interview is you see them years later. So, you know, the documentary gives us, I don't know, you know, whatever, however long they were in prison, what, 15 years or so of their lives. And then the interview with Oprah gives us, here we are, you know, two or three decades later. Yeah. So masterful. You know, Kevin in that interview, the real life Kevin said, Mm -hmm. watching this is painful but necessary. Yeah. And you know what I was thinking? I was thinking of, of Guillermo del Toro. And how his theme is mm-hmm. fleshed out in real life mm-hmm. in this nightmare. The world points at the boys and says, look at what these monsters have done to this woman. And we know from the beginning that the boys are not the monsters. Mm-hmm. And what we come to learn is that our justice system is run by monsters. By the true monsters. And because they not only got, they didn't just get it wrong. They knew mm-hmm. that they were wrong. And they framed these boys. Right. They built it for wrong. They built it to have jobs. And because they know, oh, yes, because they know if 
if we don't have these people in our prison systems, especially when the prison system moved to a model that is for profit. So if this is a business now, once I open a for-profit prison, then again, it's a model and I need bodies in here. So for each person who is incarcerated, the jail receives somewhere between thirty-two dollars and $50,000 each year to have that person there. So it's in the interest of the prison system it's to have more people. Absolutely. It keeps judges in business. It keeps cops in business. It keeps attorneys in business. It's a business. The corruption really stole the justice away from the jogger. Because really, that's this is what the story should have been about. Yes, was yes. how to find justice for this for this poor woman who was attacked and raped. Mm-hmm. What a horrible thing! But that gets swept to the side because of what they did to what the prosecutors did to these five young boys. And now the the story is about their justice because mm. now they've become the victims. Mm-hmm. So I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, all the themes that that movie brought to light was hugely helpful. Of course, it it is heartbreaking, it's enraging, but it's also educational and informative and helps us to better understand the system that, again, isn't broken. It was created this way, so it needs to be overhauled. Right. Did you see like the, the young actors... As they heard the real exonerated five oh, talk, just crying. weeping, just oh, weeping. Goodness. They had to embody these mm-hmm. people in the show, but then to hear their testimonies in real life brought them to tears, which I thought was beautiful and at the same time so tragic, so tragic that that these guys lost so much of their lives for no, for no reason. Okay, Robert. So we're brown. You're Puerto Rican. I'm Mexican and Puerto Rican. Mm-hmm. According to the stats... You got a little bit more leche than I do, but yeah, go ahead. (laughs) He means I'm lighter skinned. (laughs) So do you have any family that have been to prison? Um, I have, yeah. As have I. And I would say if there are white listeners listening right now, do you have any family members that have gone to prison? Likely the answer is no. We both come from Christian homes. We both went to Bible school. So it's not an it's not a question of oh bad stalker or they whatever it's black and brown people are targeted in this country. Yeah. Um, Ooh, such this heavy is a whole stuff. other episode. This is a whole <laughs> other episode. It yeah. is so heavy, um, so heavy. I think Ava has done a beautiful job of communicating some really powerful, impactful things that we we see, we experience. Like, are there other things that we would like her to chime in on or, or lead the way in the conversation of? Oh, definitely, definitely. It's, it's that question that we ask every week. Ha- have we ever watched a movie and wonder what it would look like in the hands of another director? Mm. What, what would other properties look like in the hands of Ava DuVernay? And that leads us to what we call deleted scenes is there a movie out there or one that has not yet been made that you would like to have seen directed by ava duvernay okay i would say there's a bunch out there that i want to see directed by her so i want to see a documentary on police brutality um you know she's she's kind of already started that with 13th but i think she needs to go 
particularly on the topic of police brutality. Oh my goodness, Donnie. Oh, <laughs> oh man. Prepping for this episode, uh-huh. I watched 13th Soma and When They See Us, rewatched them uh-huh. all in the same week. And I was a basket case in, in <laughs> your t- a documentary on police brutality. It's, I'm not, it is necessary, definitely. I, yes. I don't know if my heart can handle it, but yes. Totally I necessary. know. Okay, so that's one thing. That's a good one. I like that. Two is in one of her interviews with Oprah, she references, um, so she says, admittedly, she's uh, a black woman in this industry. There aren't really any other black women that she can look up to. So she's like, okay, whose careers do I really appreciate? And one of them is Steven Spielberg. Mm -hmm. So she's like, if you look at his filmography, first of all, there are things in, in there that you've never seen. So she's like, you know, you look at somebody's filmography and you're like, what's that? What's that? And she's like, I'm sure I'm going to have that along the way. And I'm okay with that. She's like, I want to be able to take risks, um, but take smart risks. So with Steven Spielberg, he went from like Jaws in 75 to Raiders of the Lost Ark, Mm -hmm. then to E.T. And then in 85 did the color purple of all things, like going from E.T. And then a couple years later, the color purple with Oprah. And so it was like, and then you go to Jurassic Park blockbuster then you go to schindler's list which yeah. is like that is he you know again just these these big risks he, he had those three movies in a row he had schindler's list oh, i don't know if they were in a row but schindler's list Jurassic amistad Park. no amistad oh. and saving private ryan those three hard-hitting movies oh, my goodness saving private ryan that's still one of my all-time favorite war movies yeah so I would like to see it just like she would, you know, her to do like different types of things. So maybe even like Star Wars episode 10, dare wow. I say, uh, put her name in that. Wow. Um, maybe like a Beyonce music video, um, even like a Super Bowl commercial. I don't know if you saw the one last. A Beyonce Star Wars crossover. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> Look, if Beyonce has a lightsaber, I am done. It will be my favorite thing of all time. So. Let's go with that. How about you? What's your deleted scene? Something that you'd like Ava to produce or or even write or direct? Well, I live in a neighborhood called Humble Park in Chicago. What, what? Yep, yep. And um, as I was walking down Division Avenue, I walked up to Roberto Clemente High School Hmm. and I saw a mural of Roberto Clemente. And you know what it made me think? It made me think that I once saw a great documentary about him. But I don't think I've ever seen a movie about him. Oh. I want to see the movie of Roberto Clemente's life. Because one thing that we don't realize with him is that he faced a lot of racial prejudice as well. Mm. If you know him, he was he was one of the first darker Latinos to play baseball. And he was very much seen as black. Mm-hmm. And so he went through a lot of, lot of struggles early on as well. So I would love to see that story fleshed out. I know that Ava is not Latina, but she's so, I feel sensitive to these issues and she would surround herself with good people to help understand the context. So that's the movie I want to see her make. Man, she, I hope she does it all. I really, I really hope that, you know, her, her career continues, like you said, in the beginning of the show, just on this upward trajectory and she continues just to get better and better at storytelling and continues to tell the the stories that we we really want you know to see highlighted. So mm-hmm. that brings us to our post production. 
And this is where we go beyond the film and give our final takes on Ava DuVernay. Uh, We'll either give you our personal takeaways or how she has influenced the entertainment world. So, Robert, what is your final take on Ava DuVernay? All right. Ava DuVernay has had a ripple effect in the industry. She surrounds herself with greatness Mm. and gets them to buy into her vision. Yep. But Ava DuVernay is not merely a collaborator. She is a person of empowerment. I don't know if you know this, but she founded Array. What is Array? Mm -hmm. Well, her website, ArrayNow.com, declares that Array is the rebirth of the African-American Film Festival. It says, our work is dedicated to the amplification of independent films by people of color and women filmmakers globally. Varied voices and images in cinema array now. So besides highlighting black filmmakers, Ava seems particularly passionate about giving a voice to the Native American experience, which I Mm -hmm. find completely interesting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Ava's efforts to diversify and racially mix the entertainment world is best seen, I think, in her short film slash music video of Jay-Z's Family Feud song where she has a diverse A-list class of celebrities, including, of course, Beyonce, Jessica Chastain, Michael B. Jordan, David Oyelowo, America Ferreira, Brie Larson, Rosario Dawson, Rashida Jones, Mindy Kaling, and Constance Wu. I look at that. What a diverse group of people. Mm-hmm. I think that is what she wants to do. She wants to diversify and give a voice to people who do not have a loud voice in our society. So my that's my takeaway. I love it. I I feel like her overarching, you know, like if she's got a theme, it's when I rise, we rise. So it's not just like me being elevated or or me moving forward or, you know, in 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 her career. It's I'ma take Y'all with me, we're going to do this collectively together. Yeah. I like in A Wrinkle in Time, when Reese Witherspoon stepped on the set, she was like, what is going on here? (laughs) Because there were so many black and brown camera people and gaffers. And, you know, so she's like, I applaud when we have a female gaffer because it's traditionally a male's job. Or I love having, you know, a black man behind the camera because it's traditionally a white man behind the camera so her her whole let's do this as a collective is is super beautiful yes i'd also say one other kind of final take about um ava duvernay is Mm -hmm. that she is a conversation starter and i think she's less interested in like what people choose to think but just more interested in creating content that evokes dialogue like i'm i want to make y'all think about this talk about this, and then hopefully act on this. And to go back to the beginning, she is getting those conversations started, Mm -hmm. but she is really great at her craft as well. I agree. Her movies movies are beautiful. I still feel like she has such a great eye for direction. And coming from Guillermo del Toro and Alejandro Iñárritu and Alfonso Cuaron, who have these extended takes, these brilliant locations, Mm -hmm. and then going to Ava DuVernay, who's got the shorter, quick, it's such a different world that that she creates, but beautiful nonetheless. So kudos to her. Definitely. Well, unfortunately, 
this brings us to our end credits. Also, it's perfect timing because our producer is waving the five-minute flag. So Yeah, she gets on us, right? She's, <laughs> she's hardcore. Look at this. This is like we're doing great, Robert. Go hey, guys, team. wrap it up. I'm talking too much. <laughs> Callate. <laughs> like, oh, my gosh, enough. <laughs> well, anyway, thanks for joining us on this episode of Mixed Take. Yes. If, if you enjoyed this episode... And I know you did. <laughs> right, right, right. Right. Please give us five stars on Apple Podcast. Also, head over to worldoutspoken.com, a site preparing the Mestizo Church for cultural change, where you'll find information on consulting services, thought-provoking blog posts, and other great podcasts such as The Future, Questions from the Pew, and the one and the only Mestizo podcast, the show for the mixed people of the mixed church. Yes, and special thanks to our producer, Michelle Perez. Also, thanks to Emmanuel Padilla and the World Outspoken crew. We hope, what, you, what? <laughs> we hope you join us again as we continue to dive into the world of culture-influencing content creators. Until next time. Cut! It's a wrap. Cut! It's a wrap. Cut! It's a wrap! <laughs> <laughs>